We're going to begin today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, would love for you to turn there. For everyone, we're going to put it up in a moment, but just for everyone, if you could, to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to let that be uh, the wellspring from which this message flows, from which we gather our thoughts. Um, Just sitting here worshiping with you guys and watching these three and two of the three this past Sunday night, as some of you know, were ordained as ministers of the gospel, uh, Topher Brown and Will Sanders, and uh, we had a special ordination service um, this past Sunday night, and just proud of these guys, proud to know them, proud to work with them, proud to be their boss, to be able to tell them what to do from time to time, but I, d- I just love them and appreciate them. It's, it's a known fact, if you're in my line of work, that Father's Day is one of the lowest attended church days of the year. Now, we've got a good crowd here this morning. I'm happy for that. But why do you figure that Father's Day is one of the lowest attended church days of the year? If you're sitting around, uh, sitting next to somebody right now, hazard a guess. Talk among yourselves just for a minute. Why do you think it's one of the lowest attended church days of the year? Hoping for more murmuring than that, but you know. Tea times. Somebody said tea times. I think that captures the spirit of it. Uh, we honor mamas, don't we? And we bring it big. But fathers, there's, there is that, that, that tea time or that other thing. We honor dads by doing what they want, being away from uh, the church house probably at times. But, man, if, if you were able to be with me this week, you would probably get some insight on that. Um, I was reading Genesis 18 and 19 this morning, just the, the, the importance of a father and the, the impact that a, that a father can have in his home and how God, that is established by God. But Conversely, when a father's absent, there's there are problems, right? And they're, they're heavy hearts. I know there are heavy hearts in this room. Some of you have lost your father, been estranged with that, that guy that's supposed to be uh, so important in your life. You can pray. Uh, we're, we're small enough to do this today. You, you can pray for a friend of mine, Josh. Again, Josh is in my men's group on Friday morning. Every Sunday, that guy sits right there. And Josh, again, gave me an early, early, early morning Text. His father's been rushed to UMC, had a stroke, and is uh, in serious condition. Um, pray, for, pray for a man named Wayne Ginn to think of him and pray for him. And as we come around our brother Josh in prayer that his father would be fine on Father's Day. We're in a series, a lot of you know, or a series we're calling Someday, which is a paraphrase for probably never. Uh, someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do that. Someday I'm going to have the difficult conversation. Someday I'm going to confess the sin. Someday I'm going to bring it into light. Someday I'm going to tackle the project. Someday I'm going to go on the mission trip. Someday I'm going to learn to live with less greed and more generosity. Someday, someday, someday. But someday, it's a common word, isn't it? But it's not a calendar word. We've been saying it each week that the thing about someday is it's not a, it's not a day of the week. And one day... You're going to look back on all your yesterdays and realize that someday never came. And I would love that the Holy Spirit would be whispering into your heart these weeks, what would be that thing? What is that someday that you've been saying? And if we let His Word, if you let His Word be a light into your path, a lamp into your feet, and to convict you and to bring about change, maybe, maybe you won't be there one day where you look back with a lot of regrets. We've tackled some subjects. Uh, we, we tackled just the idea of someday, uh, I don't want to look back on my life and regret not taking my spiritual growth seriously. Today, we're going to look at this idea that someday I'm going to learn about forgiveness. 
And maybe for somebody this morning, it's someday I'm going to learn to forgive the person who's hurt me. I want us to grab our Bibles. We're going to put it on the screen like we usually do, but I'd love for you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, important passage. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Let's stop there. Maybe this morning you're here and you're, uh, you're not a Christian. You're not sure where you are. You're, not, uh, you're, you're just not sure. I want to be clear. I want to put my cards on the table. We want to persuade you. We want you to become a Christian. We want you to know the joy and liberation that is found in Jesus. We, we're not mincing our words. We're not, we're not hiding here. We want you to be persuaded. Paul says, we persuade you. I've got ADD. I'll keep reading. But what But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say compels us because we have concluded this. That one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. What an important sentence. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, Paul's saying it's a new, it's a new journey. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Last verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. A ministry of reconciliation. That's God's desire. God is not only saying, I've done this work of reconciliation, but I want you to play a role in it because I am the reconciler. And as you follow me, you have a life. You are an ambassador and your life ought to reflect reconciliation. Now, when I hear Paul say we get into the conscience, it's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. I think about our world today. No matter how advanced, intelligent, and educated we have become, we still haven't changed in our composition. The human condition is still, in essence, the same. We've progressed so far. We've invented new things. We have formulated new ways to process and share and communicate and store information. But yet, We have tremendous, every heart, every heart in the room has tremendous capacity for evil and for ignorance, for a life that is not reconciled. I was walking a young believer through Scripture memory a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at Proverbs chapter 4, that all-important verse, one of my favorite, that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring 
of life. And Proverbs 4 has a lot of anatomy. It talks about many of our body parts. But it says the heart is most important. But as it goes through some of the body parts, it's, it says to us that we got to be careful where we look, where our gaze is set. And it talks about the path of our feet. It says that there is a crooked path. There's a crooked path. You're, the Scripture teaches us. That you and I have a a tendency, a propensity to walk off the path that God intends for us. And what kind? It's a crooked path. It's It's a jagged edge. It goes this way and that, but it doesn't get us where God wants to take us. There's crookedness in you. There's crookedness in us all. There's crookedness to the person sitting next to you. If you live together in family, as family or roommates, you you know what I'm talking about. But this crooked path, it's kind of like the movie Finding Nemo, like the gulls, the seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. There's just something in us that says, I want to live for myself. I want it to be about me. And let me say that if you're living your life and it's about you, then how can other people not be seen as commodities? And here's what I want to tell you. This pastor, his sins are many. And regularly I'm prone to take a crooked path to walk where my feet shouldn't take me. And I know when I make my life about me and I'm the seagull, mine, 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 there is collateral damage. Other people get hurt. We, we, we form other gods in our lives when we make it about us and we put undue pressure. I do. I don't know about you, but sometimes I put undue pressure on people in my life because it's about me and they are there to build my kingdom and to serve me. Now, I love my wife. Do y'all know Susan? Isn't she great? If you know Susan, I mean, isn't she a great? She's, let me first of all say uh, she doesn't like this attention, number one. She's mad at me. If you have a view right here, you can tell she's mad at me right now, right? But Susan is, I'm just going to say it, Susan is beautiful, isn't she? I mean, ow, ow! She is, that's what I'm talking about right there. Now, we're not going to go to Song of Solomon. I'm just saying Susan is She's beautiful. But it's more than just the beauty. I think Susan is brilliant. I, I love the way Susan ministers. Now, Fondren Church only pays me to be the lead pastor, but Susan works at times just as hard, if not harder, for our church than I do. She ministers to some of you. And she's brilliant. She cares for people. I get jealous at times. I have a a lot of friends or colleagues or associates or functional friendships, and she goes deep with a few people, and people deeply love Susan. I love how she cares for our family, how she gives me domestic support. She's a great woman and brilliant. I've seen her over these last few months show great compassion for her family, to love her father, my father-in-law, who's not doing that well in this season of his life. Man, she's a great woman. But let me tell you something. I've said a bunch of things that are true about Susan. A few of you have shouted and made weird noises because you know it's true about her. But let me tell you something else that's true about Susan. She makes a crummy God. She makes a crummy God. When I put all this weight on her to make everything about me and she has to make everything about me, she can't be a good God. Now, I love my kids. I'll say it on Father's Day. I'll say it any day. You guys know I, I love my kids. And parents, you know that there's no emotion like parental emotion 
There was a report on CNN early this morning that said that fathers who roughhouse with their kids, those kids grow up to be healthier. Is that, should that surprise anybody? Do we need a survey with that? I mean, dads, get down and give them a, you know, give them a, give them a full Nelson and love on them. But I, I love my kids. I've been, I'm one of those dads who, especially when my children were little, it was hard for me to discipline because they're so ridiculously cute. You know, it's like, what did you say? Go to your room. Go, go, go to your room. They're just so ridiculously cute. As much as I love my kids, they make crummy gods. Uh, I love my job. I love being the pastor at Fondren Church. I, I don't see us going anywhere, ever. Heaven one day, but other than that. But I, I, I think we've got, I think we're firmly rooted and established right here. But this job makes a crummy God. And when I'm living about me and it's all mine, 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 and I'm making gods of other people because I'm really the God and I want them to serve me, I find that to be a very crooked path. I find that to be a very selfish way to live. Paul says that we, we're about reconciliation. Why do we need reconciliation? We need it because of the path that we take. We need it because... When, when we make other people or other things to serve as God, when we put ourselves first, there's stress, there's fallout, there's anger, resentment, there's bitterness. God help us, there's rage. I love this passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. We're going to put it up. It says this, For he, Christ, himself is our peace. You've heard 1 John 3, God is love. God is, Jesus is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Who are the two groups? The two groups are the Jews and the Gentiles. Group of people who for centuries had shared hostility. That's all they shared. War, faction, division, hostility. And Jesus didn't just have warm, fuzzy thoughts about reconciliation. And forgiveness. He did something about it. And that's what Jesus does. Now there are a lot of poor ambassadors for Christ. Wouldn't you say if you agree with that. There's just some really poor ambassadors for Jesus. Maybe you can think of some other churches. Or some pastors. Or some movements. Or some sects. Or isms of schisms of Christianity. There are some bad ambassadors. But if you are going to be a true ambassador for Christ. Then you are going to be a peace bringer in this world. You're going to be one who, like Jesus, breaks down walls. There's less hostility. There's a passage in Numbers. We probably don't even need to put it up because I, I know most of you at Fonder and have Numbers memorized. But Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. Now, notice that phrase, breaking the faith, breaking the faith with God, it says in Numbers chapter 5. The people are taught. That when you realize it, when you have a sense of guilt, that you go 
and you make restitution. You go, you do more, you bring a fifth. Now, that doesn't mean what it means to some of you, okay? But you, you know, you bring a fifth. You go, you, you go a little extra there. That's what the Scripture's saying. You go extra. Go the extra mile, Jesus would later teach in Matthew chapter 5. When you break faith with God, it's so easy when, when we realize our sin. Because you see, there's vertical and there's horizontal. And I think for too long in the church, in religion in particular, and by the way, religion makes a crummy God. Religion defined as morality-based practice where there's little grace shown for others who fall short. Crummy God, crooked path. And there's so much collateral damage. And here, so long ago, uh, Moses in the camp is being told, hey, when you realize guilt, man, go and make it right. Matthew chapter 7, one of the most popular verses, they say, around the globe, because it's got that idea about don't judge, lest you be judged. Jesus taught this. All of you have heard it, I bet. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, own, of, out of your brother's eye. You, you know this verse. I think we live in a culture that's growing in its acidity. There are people in America, in our, in our country, whose job it is to tear other people down. And we love to build up heroes quickly and then tear them down even quicker than that. And I'm telling y'all, it seeps into the church. We, we get frustrated so easily. We get disappointed so readily. We don't extend the grace that we've been so freely offered a thousand times over. And we, we miss out. We miss out on the, the type of life that God intends us to live because of this very thing. Now, going back to the Old Testament, in, in Ezra, there's an account in Ezra where we learn when Ezra the prophet, when he noticed the sins of God's people, when he noticed them going on a crooked path, you know what Ezra did? He, we need Will back up here to illustrate this because I don't have as much uh, facial hair. But Ezra, he just pulled his beard. He just, he grieved and he, he was angry and he just pulled on his beard. He pulled his, his beard out. Now let me just say something. That's not me. I'm not that kind of guy. Now Nehemiah, in the last chapter of Nehemiah, when God's people, when he saw God's people go on a crooked path, do you know what Nehemiah did? He, he cussed, the scripture says, he beat them and he pulled them by their hair and dragged them out to the street. Now, that's what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I, I can see some of that, right? I mean, there are times when, man, I can see that you need that. There are people I know, man, they've messed me up. They've, 
They've done things. The betrayal, they've forsaken. They've, they've besmirched my reputation. They've done things to me. It's hurt me. And I want some Nehemiah justice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he just didn't cuss them. Scripture says he cussed them bad. He just didn't beat them. He beat them with rods. He didn't just pull their hair. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with pulling hair, right? You do that at home, right? He pulled their hair and drug them into the street. Their sin that they thought was private was made public. Now, how many times, don't raise your hand, but how many times, raise your hand in your heart, do you want that kind of Nehemiah justice, right? I mean, that's the way you want to see it. But you see, Jesus was teaching that when we're experts on other people's sin, but ignorant of our own, that's not the way to live. It's not the way to live. There's no peace. There's no reconciliation. There's no Ephesians 2.14 where the wall of hostility is broken down, where what divides us is no longer. Now, how many of you, I was thinking about this yesterday, what would life be like? What would church be like if one day we captured all your thoughts? We just went one by one and put your picture up on the screens. And we put bubbles, those bubble captions, with all the thoughts that you've had recently. Would you, would you want that? I mean, would you, would you want to stick around and see that? That's, that's a universal no, right? I mean, that's, no one's going to say, sure, roll it, right? No, nobody, nobody's going to say that, including the guy talking right now. But we can all confess. I mean, I, I, let me just tell you, I scare myself with some of my thoughts. Do you? I mean, I've got some scary thoughts going on. And sometimes those scary thoughts get trapped up there and it becomes almost hostile. Where I want justice for some of you. I want mercy for me. If you notice that, we want justice for other people, but mercy for ourselves. Jesus teaches us that forgiveness, it matters. A lack thereof, hurts us. Resentment seems to be one of those sins we really enjoy. And Jesus was so serious about it. He would teach, and look at it later, he would teach in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, that when you are offering your gift at the altar and you realize that a brother has something against you, he said, you go. You get up and you go. And you make it right with your brother. And then you come back and offer your gift at the altar. Preacher, what does that mean? Well, applying hermeneutics, the biblical process of interpretation, you can only really conclude two valid interpretations. Jesus is either teaching that your worship, if you, if you got something against a brother, if you got sin in your life, if there's a lack of reconciliation or forgiveness, then either Jesus is saying your worship doesn't mean much or it means nothing at all. I tend to think he's teaching us that it means nothing at all. When you're offering your gift at the altar and you realize that something's not right, the vertical relationship, too often we separate, we dichotomize. We say, I can do this, and it doesn't affect this. And Jesus is saying to be my ambassador, the vertical and horizontal goes together. It really matters. It really does. Paul is saying here, we want to persuade you. We want to persuade you to align your vertical and your horizontal. Ultimately, he's saying, as the second to last verse said, be, be reconciled to God. And he's teaching us to be reconciled also 
to each other when it comes to conflict. Uh, years ago, read a book called Peacemaker by a great author named Ken Sandy. That's spelled S-A-N-D-E. And some of you know this if you've been to my office about a counseling matter as it relates to a broken relationship, a lack of forgiveness or reconciliation. I highly recommend this book called Peacemakers. And in the book, he says, there's a couple of big ways that we deal with conflict. How do you deal with conflict? Most of you, the vast majority of us, are conflict avoiders. You may want to write that down if you're a note taker. Conflict avoiders. And we avoid in a couple of different ways. These are, these are my own thoughts, but some of us are uh, deniers, okay? And before I get into this real quick, let me say this. There is a way for the, for the follower of Jesus. The, the first play, first and foremost, always is absorbing and overlooking, okay? Look at Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. It says this, good sense, if you want to get along well, in this world with others, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Whose glory? That person's glory. The person with good sense. If you can overlook an offense. Now, some of us, when it comes to conflict, is we're on the prowl. We're looking for it, aren't we? We're like, whoop, I'm watching you. Whoop, there's a sin. I'm going to write that down. We got a clipboard. I'm going to write that down. Hey, what were you thinking of me when you were looking at me? Yep, you were probably sinning. I'm going to talk to you about that. And we want to write it down, right? Some of us are that way. Most of us are conflict avoiders. And one of the ways we avoid is just denial. But the first play always is to overlook, to absorb it. You can absorb, some of you, you can absorb more than you think. God can give us the grace to overlook and absorb. That's always the first option. Now, Peter would go on to say that love covers a multitude of sins. We ought not to be so tightly wound with each other. We ought to give much more grace and much more freedom. I know a guy, he's, like, he's just so concerned we're going to make a mistake. And you know what? We're going to make mistakes. We've made plenty of mistakes. We're about to make some more. We're going to make more after that. I mean, we need the freedom to fail, don't we? We don't need to be so wound up. But how do you know, preacher, how do you know the difference between denying and absorbing and overlooking? Well, here's what I want to say to you. When I overlook or absorb, someone that I love has done something that offended me, but it's no big deal. I love them so much. It doesn't happen. I assess it. I, I realize that it doesn't happen much, that they didn't mean it, and there are more important things. There's no reason to get sidetracked. Uh, it's good sense for me just to absorb it and to overlook it. And if I know that I've done that, well, it's like love. You just know, right? I mean, I just know that I've been able to do that because we move on and I feel good in my heart. But if I'm unable to do that, Hebrews puts it this way. It says, don't let bitterness take root. And you know when you're bitter towards someone, don't you? That means that you can't overlook it or absorb it. That means that you don't need to, to be about denying it. Another way that we... Um, we avoid conflict is by just flighting. That's probably a, a word I just made up. I, I have license to do that. Hip-hop artists make up words. I can make up words, right? Just flighting. We just, we, we move. We, we run away. This is the person that says, hey, there's problems. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm out. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to get a divorce and get a new marriage. I'm going I'm to find a new neighborhood. I'm going to find a new church. I was frustrated by something he said, and I, I was something somebody said, or this didn't happen the way I wanted to, so I'm out of here. Let me tell you something. Can I be honest with you? 
I'm going to. Just nod your head. You've got nowhere to go. They're, they haven't made that neighborhood. They haven't, you can't enter that gate code where you won't go somewhere and be disappointed by somebody. Sin and disappointment are all around us. There's nowhere flighters to go. And flighters do that a lot with churches. They whip in and whip out, and then when they get close and it gets uncomfortable, they know where to go next. We avoid by denying, by flighting. Another way that we deal with conflict is by what, we, what Ken Sandy calls aggressors. And these are people, they bully, they intimidate. They, they're like a bad surgeon. They'll cut any time, right? I mean, that's what they're looking for. They're the guy with the clipboard. They're the guy that's judging the thoughts and intentions of your heart from a distance. And the banner that the aggressors live under You can almost see it. The banner is, vengeance is mine. Not, thus saith the Lord. Just, vengeance is mine. Now, what does God mean when he says, vengeance is mine? He's basically saying to you, don't worry about that fool. I'll take care of him. Okay? Now, that's what what it means. But the aggressor does what? The aggressor says, I can't trust you, God. I don't trust your vengeance. My vengeance is better than yours. And that fool, I'm going to take care of him. That's what an aggressor does. A bad surgeon cutting anybody at any time. But we're told there's a better way. Church, we're going to close with this. I want to ask you to lift up. and I'm not going to ask you, have you heard it before? I want to ask you, is it a part of your life? Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, Rather, rather what? Rather than avoiding it, denying and flying, rather than being aggressive and being a bad surgeon, cutting everybody up and leaving people bloody, rather than that, here's the antidote. Here is the answer. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There's the church. That's what we ought to be about. The Scripture's telling us, don't miss this, the Scripture's telling us that when we speak the truth in love, when we receive the truth in love in our lives, that's when we grow up. Now, let's go back a few years ago and just hypothetically speaking, say in, in my life with one of my kids, let's just say that one of my, this hadn't happened, but let's just say one of my kids when they were little uh, grabbed a knife, a really sharp butcher knife, and headed out into a busy street. Now, if I'm going to be a good dad, how am I going to handle that? Do you think I would just go, ah, look at that, look at that guy, look at Junior out there. Just, he, he'll be fine. That's avoidance. God, let's just pray God puts a hedge of protection around him. Let me call my small group. Let's just pray that he doesn't get hurt in the traffic and hurt somebody with the butcher knife. Let's just pray. Pray the Lord protect. That's avoidance. Aggression is just, I, I, man, I'm mad at the dude. He, he took a butcher knife, a good knife, out of the kitchen. He's out in the intersection. I just take a big old hammer and just, boom, knock him out and down and drag him home. Right? That, that's aggression. I wouldn't do either one, but let's say something more realistic. Let's just say I see him out there playing with a knife, and I'm like, hey, come here, son. Come here. You hear the knees pop. Come here, son. Put, first of all, put the knife down, and then, yeah, come here. Come here. You, you see that dead squirrel over there? the one with its intestines right to its side. 
that, that squirrel just got run over. And that's what can happen to you. That's what will happen to you. Now, he's probably going to need therapy, right? But they're ther- we have therapists in the church, okay? I would rather him be alive and need therapy than to be dead with his intestines out like the squirrel, right? Now, what have I just done? I have avoided avoidance. No good dad would do that. And I have avoided aggression and time in the federal pen. But what have I done? I have spoken the truth in love. Now, here's the challenge. I see two when it comes to the challenge of, of us growing together to be that kind of community where we can speak the truth in love. The first is closeness. You see, we live, especially today, in an image-saturated society, and we love for people to see the best in ourselves. Do you agree with that? And when we get close to others, it just people see the inconsistency. You ever been a fan of somebody and you got to know them? And you just see, man, they're not all that I thought. I mean, let me just say, that's everybody. Sometimes it's a big disappointment. But I'm just telling you, every single time, I've gotten to know some prolific Christian authors, speakers, pastors, and I've gotten closer to them, traveled with them, been on missions, done an immersive study environment, gotten to know their family. And I've been a little bit disappointed because what? I've seen inconsistencies in their lives. Not necessarily blatant, hypocritical things, but just inconsistencies. Because we want to keep at a distance from people. But to speak the truth in love, it means you've got to get closer to people. This is why we love our Facebook friends. Why do we love our Facebook friends? Because they, what do they, they only see what? What we show them, right? I'm awesome. Up early, reading the Bible. Coffee and Calvin. And the truth is we're laying out on the bed, depressed. You know, we don't do a selfie of that, do we? But we got to draw closer. And when we get closer together, that whole I'm really awesome just sort of unravels, doesn't it? But if we live with the this is how awesome I am, we're not going to mature and we're not going to grow and we're not going to be a beautiful picture of reconciliation to others that are watching us. And they're watching us. Paul, Paul knows this. It's, it's what 2 Corinthians 5 is about. We, we need closeness and we need the truth. Stories told of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson out on a camping trip, and they were under, uh, underneath the stars, and, and uh, Sherlock Holmes nudges Dr. Watson in the middle of the night and says, Dr. Watson, Dr. Watson, wake up, wake up. What do you, what do you see? And uh, Dr. Watson says, I, I see the immensity of the night sky. He says, well, what do you infer by seeing that? He says, well, Astronomically, I infer that there are millions of galaxies and billions of stars and planets. Chronologically, I infer that it's probably about 3 a.m. Meteorologically, I infer that it's really nice and fine outside. Theologically, I infer that God is vast and great and that man is small and insignificant. And Sherlock Holmes interrupts him and says, You fool, it means that somebody has stolen our tent. There is within us, when it comes to the truth, there is a part of us where we miss the obvious. Now let me close by telling you something about me. The truth about me. I can be very quick-witted and passionate. I have very few times in my life, it's just a a mark of my life. It's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? 
But it's a mark of my life, and very few times in my life have I laid in bed after recapping the day in my mind. Y'all ever do that, you know, self-pillow talk? And I, I, very few times in life have I recapped a, a disagreement or something I had that day, and I thought this, man, I wish I would have said this. Oh, man, when they said this, I wish I would have come back with this zinger. There's just been very few times where I thought that, maybe three, three total in 40-something years, just three times where I've thought that. But there's been many, many times I have thought, why did I say that? Why? You see, I can use the quick wit and the passion to bless and help people at times, but it can be very injurious. It can be very hurtful and harmful to other people. And more times than I care to confess before my church, I have wounded people and hurt people because I, I am able, I just have this, I am able to think quickly, to process quickly, and to come up with a zinger or the razor-sharp edge of wit or something, and there is collateral damage in my life. And way too many times I've been in a position where I've needed to say, I'm sorry. I, I thought too quickly. I spoke too quickly. That is the truth about me. And if you know me, you know it's true. Hopefully you still love me. But I'm telling you, I need people to speak the truth to me. I need it. And if we're going to be reconciled, quickly I want to say there's a few things we need. They all start with R. We need a receptivity. We need to be able to hear. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that everybody has two or three people that they trust. If you're, if you're a healthy person, there's probably two or three people that you trust who could tell you almost anything. And at times when they tell you, you can say to them, thank you, I needed that. And here's the painful thing about being a pastor, about uh, doing what I do, and I think it's true of others too. But sometimes God sends people to me and I'm like, you want to talk to me? You want to talk to me? about something in my life? <laughs> You're a clown, man. Look at all the stuff in your life. But I want to say this. Don't ever reject the messenger because I've learned that God has a message for me at times and it's from someone unlikely. And that's really important. And I, he has given me correction. He has brought me into forgiveness and reconciliation and shown the light of truth in my life by someone that I dismissed as a clown, as an idiot, as somebody that I'm far better than. But we need a receptivity. And then we need responsibility. We need to own it. Now, we love Matthew 18, which says go directly to that person and tell them their sin. Some of us, we love that, but we, we go to Matthew 18 without going to Matthew 7 first about our own sin. And some of us just jump on that. But there's an order that Jesus teaches us. You go directly to that person. You don't have a zillion conversations. You go directly to that person and you share with them. And if it doesn't work, now here's what I've noticed. A lot of times if I do that well, I've had 100 conversations where that's gone well. It happened over a cup of coffee. But sometimes Jesus said you got to take a brother or sister. you got to take a couple other people. And that does not mean you find up somebody. Like you're mad at Larry. You find some other people who already don't like Larry. And then you go and just bury Larry right? It doesn't mean bury Larry. No. But it does say, Jesus does teach you, take a couple of people. And there's even a higher plane, and that's, that's the church. 
But it matters that we come around each other. And I've noticed when I'm on the giving end of that, when I have prayed and gone before a brother, that oftentimes, almost, well, many times there's a response from people where they want to know every little detail, right? You ever gotten to that? They want to know every detail so they can do what? So they can start pulling, pulling it all apart. They can start making excuses. You and I aren't going to be able to grow and learn and mature in Christ if we make a bunch of excuses. we got to be receptive. We have to be responsible and own it. And then we, read, we need remorse. We need remorse. We need to be able to feel the weight of it. Numbers 5, feel the weight of guilt. There's a bad guilt and there's a good guilt. It's not that God's guilt is not heavy. It doesn't linger and stay there. God's guilt is good and it points us to owning and feeling something. And finally, you know I'm going to say this great R word. It's the benchmark of Christianity, repentance. It means you change your mind about it. You, you're receptive, um, you're responsible, you, you feel it, you have remorse, and then repentance, you change your mind about it. God desires for us to be reconciled to Him. Somebody said a long time ago, I put it in my quote book, the church is not a museum for perfect people. It's a hospital for those who are hurt and broken. And that means we ought not to be so formal and stuffy around here. It means we ought to be able to have free-flowing conversations about how great God is and how not great we are. And I am included in that. I'm grateful for God giving us a church family that is being grown together and built up as it ought to be. And I pray for it more and more. Would you pray with me? Lord, the Word says that we are to be pleaded with. We are to be persuaded to be reconciled, to receive grace and forgiveness no matter what we've done. Or we can come to you and, and who we are, whatever confusion, whatever hurt, whatever loss and sadness. And Lord, in our mind, mind, mind world, in our selfie, 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 where we take shots and put, uh, take pictures and put our best foot forward, You desire for us to walk in the truth and to enjoy a closeness. Rather that we would speak the truth in love. God, everybody knows where they stand, whether they are conflict avoiders or conflict aggressors. And Lord, I, I know that you're teaching me to think better, to speak slower so that others don't get hurt so that a gift you've given me doesn't turn into a blunt object and become a weakness and a burden that's heavy for others Lord I want to be a father that my kids can be proud of and a husband that Susan loves more and more and a pastor that would lead your people well and I thank you that in the process, you're teaching me. You're teaching me to speak the truth in love and to receive the truth in love. Lord, I pray that you grow that in us. 
I pray that those who want to run and hide, those who are being so quickly disappointed, wouldn't, would, would find a place to live and work and worship and experience reconciliation. It's what we as a church need to be about, and I pray that you would lead us to that. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand now as, as Topher and the team lead us in worship? We um, don't do this every single Sunday, but today we want it to be a time of prayer. We want to be down front for you, for you guys to pray for anything uh, that's on your heart, any need that you have, any spiritual decision or direction. We want to be here to be able to pray for you. Let's all sing together. And for some of you, we want you to have the courage to step out to be prayed for. Let's let these few moments, let's let God be honored. church family let me say it at the beginning there's no way to anticipate all your questions to give you all the information but we just want to explain what we believe God is calling our church family to a lot of you already know it Um, Gary and I uh, serve as pastors and elders at our church there's some other men and their wives that have really been walking through this with us we have spent endless hours uh, in prayer talking to many of you gauging Uh, looking for advice and counsel as we proceed on this. A few years ago, uh, this guy joined with me, and we just felt like God was calling us to start a church in Fondren. And one of the things we did back then was uh, talk to the local pastors, uh, the guys right around us, so that we would have a good relationship and we uh, we would demonstrate reconciliation and peace in this beautiful community. And you've heard me say it often. Uh, if you don't live here, work here, shop here, play here uh, like I do, you love here, don't you? Fondren is a beautiful community that all of us love. Everybody wants Fondren to win. And we want this church to be really a, a radiant light, a benevolent force, just a, a gift of good to this community. And he's using us. Do you know that? He's using you and he's using our church um, to bless lives. Last Sunday night, I stood up here at ordination service and read a couple of letters that we've gotten just to share how God is using this church. And I've got a file of them, y'all. I've got a file of them. I'm just grateful that we have more and more stories of what God is doing in our midst. We prayed about a year ago. We were just so delighted with Dueling Hall. I love Dueling Hall. I love it as much as anybody. Uh, Miss Dueling Hall in some respects. It just fit us, didn't it, to have a church, to start a church there. We ran out of room there. We weren't going to have long there anyway. They were pretty much about to kick us out. And we had prayed. We, We sent a letter over here to our friends, our brothers and sisters at Woodland Hills, and we submitted a proposal to them that we would come in, we would pay them rent and have an opportunity for our church to grow here. And if they liked us, we could stick around. If they didn't, they could kick us out, but we'd pay them rent and we would do this experiment. A lot of life is an experiment. And we're just about, what, 10 or 11 weeks into this thing. And I can tell you, and I want to thank you for being a part of blessing Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Uh, They have blessed us, haven't they? And we have blessed them. And it's just been a really good relationship. Uh, So much so that uh, they accepted um, something this week from us. We've had uh, two sides working on a long-term agreement and succession plan. I want to personally thank two of our attorneys. Uh, I have really, I'm really discovering what the words pro bono mean. And they are from heaven. And I'm going to tell you all my lawyer jokes I want to apologize for in sackcloth and ashes. But I'm going to tell you right now, two guys, Brad Reeves and Joshua Medcalf. I can't. If, if they were to bill us, we would owe them so much money, honestly, well over six figures. 
And those guys have labored for our church. There's been times they've gone in the office at 9 o'clock and come out at 3. They've sacrificed for their family so that we could get a deal done uh, with Woodland Hills. Gary, tell us about the deal real quick, and then I'll jump into the changes over the next few weeks. Basically, uh, we've been blessed by Woodland Hills that they recognize that if they want this facility to remain a church in the future, that they need to partner with a local church here, and they've partnered with us. And so that, that we've entered an agreement with them for a 10-year term to where we will lease this facility to them. And at some point in that 10 years, if not at that 10 years, they will transfer ownership of this whole facility to us. And this facility goes from Old Canton Road all the way to State Street. So it's a very, very big um, uh, gesture by them. And we are so thankful that uh, God has led us here to do that. That's very exciting. Let me just say that. That's very, very exciting. Here's what it does for us. Number one, remember anything we say beyond this, here's what it does for us. It's been a big prayer for our elders and many of you as you've walked this journey with us. Uh, it secures our future here in Fondren. And when you're called Fondren Church, isn't it cool to have a home like this? I mean, there's not a lot of options. And so we've got this and we believe it's the best home that we could have right here. So I, I would love for you to join us in thanking God. Um, Trying to do this real fast, I do want you to know what you, what's pretty abundantly clear. It's obvious that this building, as great as it is, the, the bones are good, the architects have told us. It's really good foundation, really good bones, but the place has been in a, a bad state of disrepair for a, a couple of decades. You can look around and you can see that, and we really believe God is calling us to jump out and to take a step of faith. Now, y'all know that we want to be the kind of church that does this. I don't know if we have a slide of our kids. Uh, we, have, we have supported these kids. Y'all know our Red Door kids. Some of them worship with us. They're not at church today because they're at Lake Forest Ranch. Isn't that great? And some of us, uh, our small groups have come alongside, supported these kids so they could be at camp, experience they've never had to have fun, to get away from a lot of negativity in the city, to be together, to learn about Jesus. This is the church that we want to be. And these kids need a place to be mentored on Tuesday night. And your kids need a place to worship and be cared for on Sunday morning. If you're at VBS, you don't need to be uh, conjoled into this. We need a facility. We need a church home. But we're going to have to make a pretty good size investment in this place. And we believe that God is calling us to do it. Uh, aren't these guys great? Don't you love to come worship at Fondren Church? And, and man, we've got, we've got an opportunity to listen, to, to keep the pews, to change the carpet, to build out the stage, to keep the stained glass that's imported from Europe, uh, to keep the balcony, to keep a lot of the beautiful traditional elements of this, to change out the light fixtures, and to do a lot of work, and to, for this sound and audio and video to be in place. Uh, we want to have a place where you can have coffee, a building. I've been hanging out with architects. A building either says get out or hang out. And we believe God wants us to have this prime property to tell people to hang out. We want you to have a place to hang out on Sunday mornings. So we're making an investment in this place. There'll be a couple of phases. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what we need to ask of you. I'll let you share the specific. But on a big level, we're, we're praying for energy and unity. We're not answering all your questions today. Tomorrow, if you're on our email list, you're going to get a big blast with a lot of specifics. And we're going to be using these weeks ahead to share. Gary and I have talked. Uh, I'll be going to Cambodia this week. Uh, I want you guys, this is bigger than me, you guys come to church next Sunday, okay? You're in for a real treat uh, next Sunday. But we, we want to have kind of a Fondren, um, just unscripted, where we get come together. Anybody wants to just have a family night. We worship together. I share some things in my life, what God's doing in my life, what I'm reading, what I believe God is calling our church to. 
just sit on a stool and answer questions that you might have about this, about this renovation. But it's going to require us to move. Now, a week ago, I, I gathered our leadership and I said, this is happening so fast, we shouldn't do it this fast. And they said to me, no, Robert, you're wrong. We need to do it this fast. And I really believe them because summer's an opportunity. All of our college students are gone. We can feel that, can't we? They're all gone this summer. A lot of our families are out of the rhythm of worship. And summer is going to be the perfect time for us to invest in our sanctuary, the foyer, the coffee area, our children's space. And uh, Gary, tell quickly about that and what that's going to mean. First of all, if you have children zero through five, nothing changes except the three, four, and five-year-olds might go to the second floor. So everything stays over here in the fellowship hall. We would ask you, if possible, as you come in, please drop uh, a parent with those children off as you come in, and that will make it a lot easier. But nothing really changes. They stay over there, and we'll give you some direction to that. If you have children that are in base 622, we're going to take eight weeks off, eight to ten weeks off this summer, so they will worship with us uh, as you do every week. We are going to be in transition over the next 8 to 10 weeks in the gym. Now, many of you don't even know that there is a gym on this property, but there is, and there's another church plant there. And they've also been very gracious to us, and they're going to allow us to use that facility over the next 8 to 10 weeks while we do work in this room. So uh, our worship will move from 1045 till 11 o'clock, to give it room to turn around. They use that building at 9.30. So we're going to ask you that uh, if you would get here around 10.50 or so, and that will give them time to get out of the, the, the building and us to turn the building around to get ready for us. We're going to have one service. It's just a blessing that we can all stay together. So not in this facility, but in the gym facility, which is right down here, and you'll look at it as you leave, and it'll be at 11 o'clock instead of 10.45. Children will stay where they are, base 620 will not be meeting. So to recap, starting next Sunday, yes, next Sunday. Here's the thing. If you forget, just come to, just come to the property, okay? There's going to be guys and gals in blue shirts. They're going to point you toward the gym. I want to say a special thanks to Jesse Smith, to Will Sanders with his beard, to some of our deacons, Lanny Pace and John Pitts and Brad Reeves and who else helped us yesterday. There's some guys that labor to build a wall there to, so that we can move and put about 500 chairs in there. We believe with our summer crowd, we'll all be able to worship there. We're just moving it back 15 minutes. Most of you will park right where you parked. Tomorrow morning, Brad Fountain and his team from Fountain Construction are coming in tomorrow morning and jumping on this worship center. And we are, uh, we're excited about it. And this is, a, this is a step of faith for us. We're going to need people to, now more than ever to say, this is my church. I want to worship here. I want to invest in this church to have a plan for giving to be a part of this because we, we, we just feel like God has called us to be a, a real light of generosity. We want to keep all that going without any strain. We're trusting God. We believe he's going to provide big, and we want you to be thinking about your part. Whew. <laughs> Questions? Just kidding. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful. Lord, thank you for these people and their attentiveness, uh, staying a little longer today, worshiping with us. And Lord, I do pray a prayer of blessing over Fondren Church, that we could bless the others in our community and Lord, we know that you're calling us down this path. We're fully persuaded that you have called this church for such a time as this to repair the broken walls, to refurbish this place, Lord, and to, to continue to invest. And Lord, lead us to greater things, to, to be salt and light in Fondren and beyond. Lord, we want to pray now that you would uh, move your people to give, to be a part of this. Lord, thank you for how you're blessing this church. And we're grateful that uh, we have always, from the very beginning, been provided for. 
And Lord, we're just thankful. We pray for that all the more. Uh, Lord, we pray now for, for this day, for its significance of Father's Day. And God, you are a father to the fatherless. And quoting the last verse of the Old Testament, you want to turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children. And I pray that you would do a healing, reconciling work in our homes. In Jesus we pray, amen.